Please join me in Genesis chapter 13. If you are visiting with us, you have joined us in our Sunday morning series through the book of Genesis. And so far in this chapter, we have seen Abram return to the altar in Bethel. Remember in chapter 12, Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. And when he went down into Egypt, he was leaning unto his own understanding. Naturally, it did not go well. And after he messed up down in Egypt, he's basically escorted out of Egypt back to the land of Canaan. And he realizes, I need to get back to the altar. And so he goes back to Bethel, and there he calls upon the name of the Lord again. And then we saw how Abram dealt with strife within his camp. We considered how God will sometimes use strife to bring us into obedience with him. God called Abram to leave his kindred, his father's house, but Lot was still with Abram. And so God used a contention to separate Lot from Abram. And last week, we saw as they parted company, Lot decided to journey eastward into the well-watered plain of Jordan, but he chose to pitch his tent towards Sodom. And we know that it all will go downhill for him from there. Not only for him, but also for his family. It's not going to end well. Why did he have this draw to Sodom? We talked about how he first pitched his tent in that direction, then he ends up living in the city, and eventually he's sitting in the gate. I don't don't know exactly what was drawing him, but I know this, the flesh is weak. And that's why the Bible says we have to crucify the flesh. We have to die daily. With that, we'll pick up where we left off in chapter 13. Look at verses 14 through 18. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. So at the beginning of verse 14, the Lord speaks to Abram after he had finally separated from Lot. And I think that's important because now he is in obedience to God. He was, he was already moving by faith. I'm not discounting any of that, but he was not yet in full obedience. And so now he's gone to the altar. He's prayed to God. He's probably got some things right there. And he, he gets up, but there's still something wrong. And so God brings his contention. He has them separate. And now that he's even closer to the Lord's in, in obedience to God's call, God once again begins to speak to Abram. Now, why had Abram been so slow in obeying God's call to separate from his family? Remember when God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, He told Abram, get out of your country, get out of your kindred, get out of your father's house, and you're going to go to a land that I'm going to show you. But when Abram left Ur, he had his father Terah and his nephew Lot with him. And just over halfway 
to the land of Canaan, they come to the town of Haran, and there they dwelt. Which means this wasn't just a stopover. This wasn't a pit stop. This was a place where they put down stakes, and, and they were there. They were building, um, they were gaining wealth. We saw as they left, they had all these possessions they had to take with them. And so this was not just a stop off to refresh. This was a place where they settled down. We don't know for how long, but it, it was not in obedience to God. And then after Terah died, Abram departs again for the land of Canaan, but he still has Lot with him. Clearly, Abram was slow and maybe even unwilling to break away from his father's house. Because when you think about it, Abram never really did so willingly. He didn't break away from his father until he had to bury him. He didn't break away from Lot until there was contention in the camp. And so there was this unwillingness, it seems, to follow God's call in this particular area. He apparently never tried to tell his family how he needed to depart because it was God's call upon his life. Why all this hesitation to fully obey God's call in separating from his father's house? Well, we aren't told. But I'll use this as an opportunity to say how it can be difficult sometimes parting ways with family. Now I realize a lot of this depends on what kind of family you were raised in. But if you were close to your family, it can be difficult to leave everyone and everything that's familiar to you behind you just to follow God's call. And I say that in that manner because sometimes family doesn't understand it. And I know this point's not going to speak to everyone here. I, I realize that, but I believe it might be for someone. I understand Abram is married. And I know they are well into adulthood. So this may not seem like much in our eyes, especially as we look through it uh, through the lens of modern, independent American spirit. Right? We, we pride ourselves in our independence. We have a holiday called that. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Everybody wake up. Um, and, and so... When we think about it that way, it may not seem like much, but I want you to understand that what's taking place here was a big deal in ancient Middle Eastern culture. And in a lot of ways, it's still a big deal there. Family's a big deal. Hospitality is a huge deal in Middle Eastern culture. And so we shouldn't downplay the fact that Abram just looked at one of his family members and he said, separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. You understand, this was not the norm. In America, it's like, yeah, good. You can come to the party, but leave at 7 o'clock. All right, go. That's not how they roll. And I know a lot of this from firsthand experience because when I was stationed in Mississippi, I taught a lot of international students. And they'll give you the time of day all day because they don't want to be rude. And so for Abram to look at a family member and say, I really need you to just go. This is a big deal. And, and so don't, don't miss all this. He, he looks at his, his nephew and he says, if you go that direction, I'm going in the opposite. So try to picture all of this in your mind. Here's Abram. He's sojourning in a strange land. It's not like he has family in the land. His father is buried in Haran. He's just been separated from the last family member he has left in his life. And again, I understand he's got his wife. 
But let's not forget, it, it wasn't like it was today. Or it wasn't like it is today. Today, we can part ways and we can email. We can even do video phone calls. Well, whatever else we got. Social media, I don't know, whatever the internet provides you, amen? And so, it's not like we're losing contact with anybody. But understand, when they're parting ways, it's not like he can just hop in a car and go 80 miles an hour down the interstate and go visit him over in the plain of the River Jordan. So, they're separating. But after Abram and Sarai have parted from all their family, notice how the Lord comes on the scene. And this is important. The Lord shows up and He speaks to Abram again. And I believe that God has to take some of us away from family and away from our creature comforts so that we can learn that God is all we need. I'm pro-family. So save me the hate mail. I love family. Amen. But God sometimes has to do a work in our life for Him to say to us, no, 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 I'm the one that should be your rock. I'm the one that should be your strength. I'm the one that should be your life. Because I hear it from people and they say, man, they just get so broken up when somebody dies, somebody departs, has to go somewhere, whatever. Well, they were just my life. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God's saying, who am I to you? I thought I was your life. I thought I was your rock. I thought I was your strength. And so God has to intervene and He has to say, wait a minute, i got to teach you some things. I remember when God began this process in my life, and Adrian's life, and He sent us to South Korea. All of a sudden, our world flipped upside down. Hey, man! If you've never been out of the country, go. And don't go to Europe or something like that. you got to go like somewhere cool. <laughs> Sabina, I'm sorry if you're here. We love Germany, amen? That's not the point. And so... Oh man, we're gonna get in tr- I'm gonna get in trouble. All of a sudden, man, things were different. We had no vehicle. We had no stove. We had no oven. I say we, she. Because <laughs> even if we had that, I wouldn't be using it. Amen. We had no oven. We had no washer and dryer. We had no dishwasher. We had no furniture at all. We're sleeping on the floor. We had a funny looking bathroom. You ever been to Korea? Listen, it was so goofy the way this thing was set up. You turn on the shower and the water would go right into an electrical outlet. It was crazy. It looked like one of Mike Chavez's employees put that thing together. <laughs> Where's he at? Oh, amen. Oh, boy. He's in that security position back there. I better be careful. <laughs> I'm only teasing. He does great work. And so we had no family. We had no friends. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But guess what happened? The Lord came on the scene. You know what? Probably better stated for that point in our life, the Lord came into focus. And we learned we had God. And through it all, we grew closer together as husband and wife. We grew closer to the Lord. God was using that time in my life to teach me He's all that I need. Long story short, we were eventually stationed here. And my wife can testify how our military assignments after leaving here were to slowly teach her God was all she needed. Of course, she and I remained close. But I'm talking about relationships outside of marriage. 
And while friends are great, friends can fail you. And some can even betray you. And while family can be great, sometimes God needs you to come apart from family in order for you to learn He is all you need. And think about our, our military folks in our church. You know how it is. There was some difficulty when God called me here because Adrian and I had retirement plans with my parents. I love my parents dearly. And I did not want to depart from them. My dad's my hero. My mom is awesome. And I didn't want that separation to take place. But if I was going to obey God's call in my life, a separation had to occur. What was God doing? God was in the process of further teaching me, I'm all you need. And through it all, God was right there. Amen. Locations changed. Friendships changed. Family was far away. And as far as the in-laws go, that's a good thing. (laughs) It's a tough crowd today. I guess all you love your mother-in-law. I happen to love mine. But family was far away. But God was with us. Now, here's how the Lord spoke to me through this passage. You know what God was doing in my life? God was building our friendship. Do you hear what I'm saying? Believe it or not, as cantankerous as I am, I do have some friends. I do have some family that loves me. But God had to separate me in order for me to build a relationship with Him. God was building a friendship with me. Proverbs 18.24 says, There's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Did you know three times in the Bible, Abraham is called the friend of God? You can see that in 2 Chronicles 27, Isaiah 41.8, and James 2.23. Abram, later called Abraham, he cultivated a relationship with the Lord. As his other earthly relationships faded, not necessarily by choice, but as his earthly relationships faded, Abram's friendship with God began to blossom. So how's your friendship with the Lord today? Amen. How's your friendship with God? And listen to me, I'm not asking if you know of the Lord. But do you have a friendship with the Lord? Because you can know someone without being friends with someone. Somebody said, was talking about how they wouldn't, you know, how are we going to know everybody in church? I said, you don't know them already. I said, what do you mean? We just had a guy go to jail for kiddie porn. This was some time ago. You thought you knew him. You didn't know him. Amen. You can say you know someone, but you may not be friends with them. And you can, t- you can say you know God, but are you friends with him? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Are y'all with me? You can even know someone to an extent without ever truly being friends with them. Well, I hope this is hitting the target. Sometimes God wants to separate 
from some relationships. He wants us to separate some from some relationships so that we can get to know Him better. Because there can be times when other relationships will hinder us. They will hinder our growth in our friendship with God. God says you got to separate from that. I want you to separate from that. He's probably not going to force you every time. Amen. But He wants you to come apart from that relationship that's hindering your friendship with God. And the fact is, we can sometimes be guilty of elevating earthly, earthly relationships above God. And I already preached that earlier. Sometimes people look at their friends and their family and say, well, this is what they were to me. And God says, no, that's what I'm supposed to be to you. And so, God, this is amazing now. God brings a separation because He loves us, but, but don't get bitter through those seasons. Listen, this is what amazes me. God just wants you to know Him better, and He wants to know you better. I know He knows you, but I'm just talking about in the context of friendship here. He wants you to get to know Him. Hey, He died so that we could be made worthy to even come into His presence. He wants a relationship with you. God Almighty, who said, let there be, and it was. God wants to be your friend. What a thought. And yet many choose, many choose not to grow in their friendship with the Lord. And I mean church people. Maybe you're saved today, but you know you aren't really close to God yet. God's done everything on His end. And now you need to do your part. So are you friends with God? Close friendships won't magically develop. But they listen, close friendships, they have to be built over time. It is something we put effort into. So who's most important in your life? You can tell who's most important in your life by who you spend the most time with. Well, I didn't want to get hung up here. Abram and Lot finally separate. I believe it had to be a difficult time for them both. But God shows up because He is our friend who sticks closer than a brother. And God says, I know I've called you to this and I will be there with you. And what God calls us to, He'll be there. And if God calls you to sever a relationship, God will be there. And so we have to learn to trust God along the way. And you can always count on the Lord. You know, following the Lord may cost you some relationships. They may cost you some friendships. But if that's what God has called you to, just be obedient and trust Him. And and rest assured, God will be there for you. Well, back to our text. Now that Abram has returned to the altar to call upon the name of the Lord again, and now that Abram has finally separated from Lot, we find the Lord speaking unto Abram again. And we find the principle of how God will draw near to those who will draw near to Him. But don't miss how the Lord speaks to Abram after there was obedience. The beginning of verse 14 says, And the Lord said unto Abram after that Lot was separated from him. This is what God called him to do from the very beginning. Drawing near to God, listen to me, it has to go beyond just a profession of the mouth. Drawing near to God has to be more than than bowing at an altar and making some profession verbally. 
But drawing near to God continues as we put action to the prayer that we offered up upon the altar. And so we get up from the altar and then we put action to what we just talked to God about. That's drawing near to God. In other words, drawing near to God has to be with an obedient heart. It, it's the follow-through, right? Because talk is cheap. Matthew 15, 8. This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The Bible talks about our word and our deed. Our word is what we say and our deed is what we do. And the two ought to complement one another. Who we profess to be should match who we really are. And so I'm talking about when our walk matches our talk. And so one of the manifestations that our heart has drawn near to God is when we are obedient to God. Is everybody okay? You can vocalize that you've drawn near to God, but it's just empty words until there's obedience. And yes, I'm aware it's possible to be obedient outwardly and your heart still not be right internally. But you understand what I mean when I say your obedience demonstrates your profession is more than just words. We often describe obedience from the heart as being willful obedience. It's out of a willing heart because many can obey, but not all who obey do so out of a willing heart of gratitude and love. A child can obey their parents outwardly to avoid dealing with the consequences. I was a teenager once. I mean, I'll do it because I'm just tired of the consequences, but when I turn 18... And I did better than that. When I turned 17, I was out. But I did what I was told. For the most part. Now, Dad's not here to pipe up, amen? And if my mom types anything, it's on. So a child can obey outwardly, but inwardly they might be rebelling. Willful obedience or hard obedience is when there is obedience out of love. I've given my testimony many times, but something clicked in basic training where I realized... No, now I want to honor my dad because I love him. Before, I just wanted to do it out of fear. There's a difference, right? Now, I'm not talking about sinless perfection here, but is your professed love for the Lord being demonstrated by your willful obedience? Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Wow. Jesus is clear that our actions will demonstrate who we love. Romans 6.16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? So who are you obeying today? Are you obeying your flesh or the Spirit? Are you yielding to your will or the Father's will? And if you answer honestly, you will know who you are really serving. Maybe you're not hearing from God like you should. Or maybe like you would like to. Or perhaps you're not hearing from God at all. Check your obedience. Amen. Are you in obedience to God's Word? It's not enough to draw near to God with words, but you also need to draw near to God in action. If you want to hear from God, you got to be close to God. And you need to be obedient to God. Abram, he drew near to God in word 
when he called upon the name of the Lord in prayer at the altar, and he drew near to God indeed when he asked Lot to separate himself from him. And then Abram heard from the Lord. Let's look again at what God says to Abram in verses 14 through 17. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. So Abram had allowed Lot to make a decision on which direction he wanted to go. And in verse 10, we saw last time how Lot lifted up his eyes. And he beheld all the well-watered plain of Jordan. And now God comes to Abram and he says in verse 14, Lift up now thine eyes. God is saying, Abram, let me show you something. Remember when I called you out of Ur and I said I would bring you into a land of my choosing? Well, this is it, Abram. And look in all directions. And all the lands you see, this is what I'm going to give to you and your seed forever. (laughs) I'm not sure how deep to get into this land promise at this point because it will show up again in covenant form in verses 15 and 17. And I don't want to go through all of this twice. Amen? All right. I'm going to hold off digging into this for now. And honestly, because this topic has become so controversial for some, it would really turn into its own series. And I don't want to do that on Sunday morning. I might do that on Sunday night. But I'm still praying about how much I need to say without dodging the issue. (laughs) Amen. None of y'all ever played politics before? Now, I will take just a moment while we're here to provoke thought. And isn't this interesting timing that we're dealing with this in light of what's happening in the news? A lot of the talk is about the land of Israel because of the war with Hamas and Israel. And so we're hearing a lot about the land right now. So God, He told Abram twice that He would give him the land. He says in verse 15, To thee will I give it. And in verse 17, For I will give it unto thee. When God says unto thee, it is singular. And it means He's going to give it to Abram. God said, I will do this. Question. Did Abram receive the land in his lifetime? No. He never received the land in his lifetime. Acts 7.5 is clear. It says, And he, God, gave him, Abraham, none inheritance in the land. No, not so much as to set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. In fact, Abram had, he didn't have any of the land to the point when Sarah died. You remember, he had to buy her burial site. Well, they offered it to him. He said, no, I'm going to purchase it from you. And so he, he had to buy the land in order to bury his family. But I thought God promised the land to Abram. Aha! That's what you need to consider. If God promised Abram the land and Abram died having never received the land, then how does this promise find its fulfillment? Has all, some, or none of it been fulfilled already? By the way, when I ask these questions, I'm not looking for you to come and give me your opinion. I have an opinion, I'm just not giving it to you yet. 
Is there still coming a day when Abraham will literally receive the land? Is there a spiritual component to any of this? Is it only fulfilled through his seed receiving the land? After all, God says in verse 15 that the land would not only go to Abram, but it would also go to his seed forever. Which seed is being referred to here? Because your modern Bibles, if you have one this morning, it's going to say to his descendants. That's not what it says here. What seed is being referred to here? Is it his fleshly offspring or is it the promised seed, the Messiah? These are things you have to consider when you try to answer some of these questions. What do I think about the land, you ask? While I enjoy studying all of these controversial topics, and as much as I love proving Ken that I'm right, um, and I do want to have all the answers, by the way, but I don't, you may not like my answer today because this is all I'm going to say. Here's what I know for sure. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he can give the land to whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Whoop. And my opinion isn't going to change how he's going to deliver everything. <laughs> Amen. Woo, let's have a prophecy conference up in here. Well, amen, let's move on, shall we? Would you notice how this promise by God in chapter 13, it builds upon, upon the promise from chapter 12. And I'm saying promise on purpose because a lot of people are saying it's a covenant. It's not a covenant yet. We're still just talking about a promise. In, tw- in chapter 12 and verse 7, God said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. That's all He said there, but now more is added. This is often how God operates. And I want you to get this if you tune me out with all that land chatter. God first called Abram out of Ur into a land he would show him, and Abram obeyed. God then led Abram into the land of Canaan, and Abram obeyed. God then said, I will give this land unto your seed, and Abram remained faithful. And now God says, your seed is going to be innumerable. Do you see how God's been building upon this each time? You see, God doesn't usually reveal all of his plans to us right away. I doubt any of you had your whole life mapped out. You may have had an idea of what you wanted, but that may not have been how everything went down because there's probably some surprises along the way. So what does God do? He leads us along. And as we are faithful, more is revealed to us. God waits to see if we're going to be faithful over little before making us faithful over more. And God knows how much we need to know. And so we need to be content with that. And we have to trust God's timing. When I was saved in 1990, God did not tell me I was going to be a preacher. When I started preaching in 1999, God did not tell me I was going to be a pastor. When I became a pastor in 2016, God didn't tell me what to expect. He didn't tell me how long I would be here. And He sure didn't tell me how much fun it was going to be. I'm just saying... To those of you who have a desire to serve God and and you want to know what God has planned for your life, don't get discouraged along the way. Don't get ahead of God. Trust His plans and His timing. And in the meantime, be found faithful in what God has called you to do. What has God revealed to you? Do that. And then He'll reveal more in time. And maybe someone is thinking, but I don't feel like God's really revealed anything to me yet. No, He has. It's in His Word. 
God has revealed to every one of His children, if we'll just get in the Word of God, that He wants us to be in prayer. He wants us to be in the Word of God. He wants us to be faithful to church. He wants us to be faithful to give. And He wants us to be faithful to witness. Five to thrive. God wants that from His children, and yet some people can't even do that. And if you can't do that which is least, why is God going to give you more? Do the fundamental things. Listen, if you haven't even learned to give your wallet to God, don't expect Him to reveal more to you. Don't expect to be given more when you aren't willing to do that which is already required. Finally, God tells Abram in verses 17 and 18, Arise, walk through the land and the length of it, the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Now, I hope I'm not off on this thought, but I believe God is calling Abram to exercise faith in verse 17, and that in verse 18, he is exercising that faith. I was reminded of Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 here. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Joshua, do you have faith in my promises? Then arise and go. Go and possess the land. Abram, do you have faith in my promises? Then arise and walk through the land. And what does the Bible say three times in James chapter 2? It'll say this a little bit differently every time, but it says this, faith without works is dead. For those who say they have faith in Christ, have you ever put feet to your profession? I mean, what are you doing for the Lord which shows you have faith in Him and in His promises? What actions have you taken which demonstrate you have faith in God? You say you have faith, but where's your proof? I think that's what James is getting at. And I realize this closely relates to the point I just made earlier in this message, but I reckon God wants the main emphasis this morning to be, there needs to be more than just an acknowledgement of our faith in God, but there needs to be action. Because I mentioned earlier how drawing near to God has to be more than a profession of our mouth, but there has to be something which demonstrates that through our obedience. Our actions should back up our profession, and our actions should demonstrate our faith, but sometimes we tend to be more talk than we are walk. God made a promise to Abram, and then he told him to arise and walk through the land. In the very next verse we read, then Abram removed his tent, and he walked to Hebron. He obeyed God by faith. His actions demonstrated his faith in God. So do you say you believe in God? Then what's your action? And to further prove Abram's faith, he builds another altar unto the Lord at this new location, and I've already mentioned the importance of altars in chapter 12, so I'm not going to dig in here. But this is an indication of how Abram was no longer leaning unto his own understanding as he was doing in the latter half of chapter 12 when he went to Egypt. But now he is acknowledging God in all of his ways. And what does God say in his word in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. What is that verse saying? Have faith in God. I'm going to trust God to direct my life. So in closing, do you profess to know God today? 
then what actions demonstrate your profession? Would you say you've drawn nearer to God? Then does your obedience confirm that? Do you say you have faith in God? Then what works do you have to prove your faith? Are you claiming to trust God? Then what direction are you heading in? Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. They profess that they know God, but in works they are denying Him. Now I know that was written to the lost, but that certainly can be, or it was interpreted as to the lost, but it can be applied to the saved. Because the saved can say that they love God and that they're drawing near to God and that they're all these things, and yet what are their works saying? So we can profess to know God all we want, but what, is our li- what, what do our lives demonstrate? Do our lives demonstrate that we know Him? Do our lives say that I'm friends with God? Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. He also wrote in Galatians 6.4, But let every man prove his own work. And so maybe it's time for some to do some examining and proving today. You say you're in God. Do you got anything to back that up? Have you really drawn near to God? Are you really exercising faith in God? Are you really trusting God? Well, only you and God can answer that. And if you need to draw near to Him today, we invite you to do that. Let's pray.